The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. As always, here we are, and this is Future of Business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP Services. We have a great topic for you today, four-letter word, OMG, work. Yes, some of us do it. Hopefully, we love it. A lot of questions for you if you're an employer. Listen up. Let's get started. Companies with engaged employees, I think you know what that is, typically are able to retain top talent. Isn't that your goal? They can garner customer satisfaction, high grades. Yes, we love your company. We love your service. We love your product. That's what it's all about. And they can earn best-in-class marks on the scale of competition wherever they're competing. What is the secret sauce for these companies? We've asked and we found out. It is effective corporate learning programs. That's what we're talking about today. On the flip side, some companies fail to provide great training. What happens? Ah, They might get employees who get frustrated, disloyal, ineffective. You do not want that to happen in your staff. So here's a heads up to management. I know a lot of you are listening. It's what we call dealer's choice, and I mean your choice. But be aware Training or not training, mediocre or great, the stakes are getting higher if you make the wrong choice. I have a panel of experts talking to us today about the opportunity for you to unlock human potential in the future of work. And the future is right now, I believe. Let me introduce my panel, three experts. You don't want to miss their words of wisdom. Kicking us off today is Richard Edwards. He's a principal analyst at Ovum, and he sent me the following quote. By way of introduction, he says, employee frustration and operational latency are increasing as the workforce tries to do today's job with yesterday's tool. That sounds like very important words. Richard Edwards, welcome. How are you today? Where are you calling from, Richard? Hello, Bonnie. Yes, Richard here calling you from, uh, from the UK in sunny Yorkshire in the north of England. Glad. And what time of day is it there? It's not too late, is it? Um, we're at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, so um, we're into the final stretch of the uh, of the day here. Good, and two hours from high tea. Maybe you'll tell us that when we get to the coffee break segment. Richard, thanks for your great quote. You're saying employee frustration and operational latency are increasing as the workforce tries to do today's job with yesterday's tool. That sounds like somebody either isn't ponying up the money to give them the tools or they're not giving them the training. There sounds like a lag here. Talk to me, Richard. What What is this quote about? Is this research at Ovum? And let's expand it, please. Go ahead. Well, thank you. So, Ovum, as a, an IT industry sort of research firm, conducts a number of <clears throat> sort of uh, surveys amongst 
um, all sorts of folk, including full-time employees. And we're spotting a, a range of trends um, coming out of this sort of research, which we've been conducting for three or four years now. And there's sort of clearly a distinct um, pattern emerging in the use of technologies that we are familiar with from our sort of consumer uh, lifestyles now being applied to the world of work in order to try and help us get the job done and to help us sort of get home um, of an evening. Now, the sort of tech-savvy employee clearly has a bit of a head start on, on the rest of us as he or she is able to, to make good use of those technologies. But they only represent a sort of small percentage of the workforce. And uh, what I've been looking at is this sort of skills gap and technology gap that's affecting what I describe as the technology ambivalent employee. So this is a person, you know, many of whom perhaps are, are tuned in today, who, mm -hmm. you know, they, they use their PC or their smartphone to go about their daily activities. But they're not really super excited by technology as some of us perhaps are. And, you know, this is presenting a bit of a sort of a two-speed workforce whereby we have some folks who are sort of shouting and sort of complaining that they don't have the latest tools, while others mm -hmm. are just getting sort of anxious and frustrated that they don't have the equipment to, to get on and do those kinds of jobs that we all have today. Okay, thank you very much, Richard. Good kickoff to our topic. I'm going to ask our second panelist to join the conversation. Her name is Chris Peterson. She is IBM's Transformation Center of Excellence lead. And I want to say welcome to Chris. We enjoy having IBM people on the show as well. Richard from Ovum, we have a steady representation of Ovum here on the show. And Chris sent me a great quote from none other than Peter Drucker. We love to have him on the show as well. The quote is, we now accept the fact that learning is a lifelong process of keeping abreast of change, and the most pressing task is to teach people how to learn. Chris, are you meaning to tell me in the words of Peter Drucker that we don't know how to learn? Good morning, Chris. How are you today? Hi, Bonnie. Uh, good morning to you as well. And I think that's uh, one of our biggest challenges right now is helping uh, the workforce learn. You know, I think Richard's point with bridging the gap between the tech savvy and those that aren't tech savvy, that's a, a critical issue now for the workforce. And, and you know, my role at IBM is, is ultimately to help uh, companies use new technologies and get the most out of them. And, you know, I love this quote from, from Peter Drucker because I think the notion that learning is at its essence about keeping abreast of change and helping people keep current. I mean, that's really, as learning leaders, that's what our world's all about, right? Being, mm -hmm. you know, in the business world, the scientific community, the not-for-profit domains, it's helping share best practice with, within those sectors, um, transferring knowledge. And, you know, I think that really becomes a, a pressing task of learners, keeping people current, keeping people abreast of change. I love the words you used, Chris, learning leaders. I haven't heard that yet. Do you think we're going to see, and I should save this for the end of the show at the Crystal Ball segment, do you think we're going to see a, a chief learning officer? Do we have such a person already in the C-suite, Chris? We actually do in, in you know, those uh, learning-savvy companies. Um, you often do see a chief learning uh, officer, 
we do have that role at IBM. And, you know, a lot of our clients are really seeing this as a critical strategic role. Other companies still have learning as a department or one person tucked underneath mm-hmm. the chief human resource officer. But more and more, especially, you know, with the keeping up with technology and making sure that, you know, we're bridging that gap between the tech savvy and those that aren't, this learning officer role is more and more critical. Thank you very much, Chris. Also a great addition to kicking off the topic and rounding out our panel today is Carrie Brown. She is the head of strategy and alliances for SAP Americas. And Carrie sent me the following quote from William Grovesner Pollard. We're going to find out who he is or was. Here's the quote. Learning and innovation go hand in hand, which is a great tie into both Richard's and Chris's uh, opening comments. And the quote continues, the arrogance of success. Remember that the arrogance of success is to think that what you did yesterday will be sufficient for tomorrow. And what about today? Welcome, Carrie Brown. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm very well, thank you, and glad to be here. Delighted to have you join the panel. So talk to me. There seems to be a gap in here. What, what, thinking what you did yesterday will be sufficient for tomorrow, and what's happening today, and I love the part about learning and innovation go hand in hand. A lot of meat on the bones here. Carrie, talk to me about why you picked this quote, please. I picked it. It actually came from an internal conference at SAP had where we were talking about 2014 and where do we go from here. And it pulls together a number of the comments by the previous panelists in that the expectations of the end user of the employee are changing in terms of how to be successful at work. A colleague of mine, Carrie Williard, actually, who works as part of the Success Factors organization at SAP, was the chief learning officer for Sun Microsystems. And she then became that at SAP. And so when you look at her role, she's actually ends up writing a book called The 2020 Workplace. And so when you look at learning and people and expectations and technology, we're really changing from a group of the ambivalent data person as described earlier, mm-hmm. where the technology might be overwhelming or might be unappealing to a digital native in the next phase of workers who are coming in as millennials, where the idea of not using technology is completely foreign as well. So when you look at learning and innovation coming together, really the opportunity for technology to advance and lift the capabilities to use technology to drive value for companies is something that is often overlooked. I listened to your previous radio program where we talked about learning being challenging and somewhat of a pain to organizations and and should Mm -hmm. it just be automatic. And the challenge really is that in the complexity of the enterprise, the simplicity of being the, the consumer is sometimes hard to translate. So how to be innovative and how to actually help people to learn simply, I think, is a challenge we're all trying to face. Thank you, Carrie. I have a quick question for you before we get to the tough part of the opening, which is what's in your cup today. And I'm going to challenge all of you to tell me a fabulous coffee break story. But Carrie, question is, learning, is it an inside-out process or outside-in, meaning, uh, for example, Richard said people are coming in with the tools that they use personally. They want to use them at work. That, to me, would be outside-in, saying to the enterprise, whatever size company, hey, make my life a little bit easier. I already know how to use these tools. And then the organization has to say, hmm, how do we learn to incorporate these tools to give our employees an easier route to helping us innovate? Or does it come from the top saying, hey, you're going to learn this and that, and these are the tools we're going to give you, and we embrace it first. Carrie, quickly, do you see mostly learning coming from the, learning innovation coming from the inside out or outside in, or both? 
I think that it's both, and I and I think it's both in that the consumerization of IT, so the expectations mm-hmm. from the outside in of the employee, are pushing the the corporations to to look inside out. I think that the for years that the challenge and the cost and the um, complexity of how to do learning effectively to large audiences has limited innovation. And like all technology, it moves so quickly, but certainly in the consumer space, that much more quickly than the enterprise. Now they're starting to bridge. So enterprise mm-hmm. technology, you look at Learning Hub, you look at NOAA, you look at different tools like that that you see in the workplace, Uline, which are really bringing in different ways to connect with employees that we haven't seen previously. I know they spoke of personas and fury but on, on the previous program, but the challenge is really how do we bridge that gap, and what we're finding is the ability to bridge that gap from outside into inside out is now much closer than ever. Terrific. Thank you so much. Okay, it's time for the coffee break segment because this show is one of our themed miniseries under the umbrella of Coffee Break with Game Changers, our ongoing flagship show. Let me turn to Richard Edwards, 2 p.m. in the U.K. Richard, what are you drinking right now? What can you share with us or what do you wish you were drinking for right after the show? Go ahead, Richard. Okay, well, I have a, a thought as to what it might be after the show, but uh, <laughs> with a few hours to go, I'm sort of sticking to my regular uh, mug of, of Yorkshire tea, um, a, a blended uh, product from one of uh, the UK's sort of few remaining family tea and coffee merchants, uh, favoured by the likes of Russell Crowe, apparently. Um, so that's um, swirling around in my uh, teacup at the moment. And tell us again, what is the name of this one of the few remaining family-owned tea companies? What is the name of the company, Richard? We um, want to give them well, a little some kick. Of, some, of your, some of your international travelers might have heard of a, a tea shop or a company called Betty's and Taylor's of Harrogate. So uh, they're just uh, half an hour up the, the motorway from me. And uh, they're the people who um, yeah, blend and, and market and sell Yorkshire tea. So we don't Very actually grow tea in Yorkshire. I'd mm-hmm. like to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> Some Thank you. A little um, agricultural update here. Thank you very much. <laughs> I would say, Russell Crowe, move over. We have a celebrity tea drinker from Yorkshire Tea here of Richard Edwards. So Russell Crowe is in good company, Richard. I, I dare to say that. Thank you very much for sharing. Interesting story. Chris Peterson, I won't ask you to top that, but what are you drinking today, or what do you wish was in your cup, Chris, at IBM? Well, I am uh, drinking Green Mountain Coffee, and uh, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters is one of uh, IBM's premier clients at this point. In fact, we're um, helping them uh, keep up with their massive scaling uh, challenges as they've grown from uh, a company the size of $700 million in revenues five years ago to $4.3 billion um, in 2013. You know, they're the guys... Bonnie that bought out um, Keurig, uh, the single mm-hmm. cup brewers, and have just blown that uh, out of the water. Um, the the, the K cups that you put in those mm-hmm. single serve, you know brewers is the classic razor razor blade success story. Um, yep. And they just hired a CEO Brian Kelly from Coke. Oh, about fourteen uh, months ago, and and Brian is now formed an amazing strategic alliance with Coca-Cola uh, to, to think through uh, cold brewing products. So, again, in, in four years or so from now, um, in our next show, uh, we might all be sitting here drinking Keurig blended uh, Coke products. 
Um, oh my goodness, yeah, be still crazy. my heart. That's a, I was going to say that's a lot to swallow, pardon the pun. Okay, thank <laughs> you very much, Chris. I appreciate that. Great plug, by the way. We love to know what's going on in the world of what we're talking about. Carrie Brown, third on the panel. What are you drinking today? Or talk to me, Carrie. Oh, it's so interesting that Chris raised that. Chris and actually have both worked together with Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, and I, I do happily have a Keurig in my home, courtesy of that fine organization. Um, what I'm drinking right now is actually a cup of tea. Uh, if you haven't heard, I have a bit of a Canadian accent because I'm from Vancouver, and mm-hmm. I'm drinking a blend of O Canada tea, which is a rooibos tea from a Canadian company called David's Tea. And so, like Richard, I uh, I, I hail from British parents, and so tea is most often in my cup, whether it's from David's or from Keurig and Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. Lovely. Thank you. And I have to do a shout-out to David Fowler at SAP, who is the owner of our editorial calendar and the sponsor of this show at SAP Services. And he says, in my cup today, are you ready for it? Founders Pale Ale from Founders Brewery in Grand Rapids. David, what time of day is it there? I won't ask. I know he's excited about the radio show. Thank you very much, David. And if you all haven't heard, they only allow Bonnie to have water on show days. So I I can't have any caffeine because you know why. Guess what? It's time for our first break. You're listening to the second live edition of our new series, Future of Business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP Services. I added the word services. Our topic today, the future of work. Are you ready to unlock human potential? I say yes. My panel today, Richard Edwards, a principal analyst at Ovum. Chris Peterson, IBM's Transformation Center of Excellence lead, and Kerry Brown, Head of Strategy and Alliances for SAP America's great panel, great insights. You don't want to miss any of their wows. I call that words of wisdom. We're tweeting today at hashtag SAP Radio. We've got SAP Services. We've got Sylvia Santelli. Sylvia, thanks for listening. I know we have Andy Grieg on hold, and he's probably the one at SAP Services. And Dave S. Fowler is joining us on Twitter as well. We're going to be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. We'll be right back. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Brad, take us out. Out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. 
Here we are, and we're back with Richard Edwards at Ovum, Chris Peterson at IBM, and Carrie Brown at SAP. You're listening to Future of Business with Game Changers Radio. Of course you are. Let's kick off the roundtable. I have to give a warning to my panelists. This is going to be about 25 minutes, nonstop, no breaks. Put your seatbelts on. We're going to have fun. Anybody jump in at any time. I'm going to kick this off with Richard Edwards. Richard, you sent me in your notes before the show a very telling statement. The future of work is in, inextricably, I have to pronounce it right, inextricably linked with technological advancements. A lot of interesting information in this one short sentence. Richard, let's kick this off and then we'll hear what Chris and Carrie have to say. Go ahead, Richard. Well, of course, you know, human beings um, invent tools. It's to some extent what differentiates our species amongst others. Um, but when it comes to the world of work, uh, of course, those tools that we use as individuals um, do actually uh, shape uh, and provide structure to the, the businesses and those business processes which we uh, are involved in day after day. Now, the tools that we use also um, uh, get us to think in particular ways. So when a new tool comes along, that has the uh, impact of sort of changing the way we think. And we can look back over everything from the phone, the fax machine, the mobile phone, the Internet, the PC, the iPhone, etc. But the challenge then is to take that changing thinking and to, to use it to provide a level of differentiation for the business. Because when I look at many businesses today, I, I would describe them as being email-shaped. Uh, so that's the sort of dominating communication medium that all of us use. And the sort of gravitational pull of that particular tool is making it incredibly difficult, I think, for organizations to change their shape and to sort of engage in some of the new ways that we as consumers expect today. Um, we've had previous conversations about social media, of course, but the use of those kinds of communication technologies within the workplace have an impact there, too. Chris, Carrie, you want to chime in on what Richard just commented? Yeah, I, I agree with the notion that, you know, those, those techniques are radically changing. And, and Richard, you know, I think it, it points to the fact that the millennials are really taking over the workforce, right? If you think about our demographics in the year 2020, and mind you, that's only, what, six years away, baby boomers, or I like to call them Zoomers, those baby boomers who have not yet retired. Who knows Hello. Um, <laughs> Hello. Hello. Because we love, we love hosting SAP radio. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing personal. And, and others possibly on the call. <laughs> you know, Zoomers will make up only 20% of the workforce in 2020. The rest of the... Uh, of the workforce will be younger than most of us, uh, at least here on this roundtable. So it's a different world, and this younger generation expects tools, um, communications to them, learning approaches to be completely different than they are today. They, they want a consumer-like experience. They want mm -hmm. things to be on their terms. They, they don't want it, Bonnie, you know, pushed down inside out. They want it more and more outside in. Um, and I think they're driving a, a shift, a radical shift, in how in the future we'll relate, reach out, talk to, communicate, teach uh, them. Hi, it's Carrie. Carrie. I'm going to jump in yeah. as well. 
Please um, I'm, I'm actually part of Gen X, so I'm, I'm what's affectionately known as the Prince Charles generation who will never be king. We spent our lives chasing the boomers, and, and we're going to be swept past by all the millennials. Um, but I think it's I think it's interesting. Certainly, the the bring your own device programs at organizations are are you know embracing with greater and lesser degrees is responding to that consumerization. And I think of it like a continuum. I was actually on the plane yesterday talking to somebody about this, and I used to talk about change readiness and learning and think about what people do outside of work and bring it in because then it becomes more relatable. You know, there's an analogy they can understand. And I used to talk about banking. And banking, we used to all go into the branch. Then they introduced bank machines, and it was really something we weren't sure we wanted to do. Now, how many people ever actually go into a branch or even let alone go to a machine? You can now input Mm -hmm. your checks through your Apple device, you know, through online apps. And then you think of technology now, though, there's still a readiness for all of us if you take that continuum to – you know, think of using your device. If you want to, you can change the temperature in your home with your phone. Do mm-hmm. you? Do you have that capability? Do you want that capability? And somewhere along that technology continuum, we all find our natural place. I think what's interesting and challenging is when the workforce and the culture corporation um, pieces don't match. So if the corporation you work for has a more traditional uh, face-to-face, you know, uh, command and control type environment versus the flexible type of work environment and communication patterns that are, are you know, seen now with technology, that disconnect is really where we find, I think, the opportunity and the gap to be filled, and technology's accessibility is helping with that. And I, I'm jumping a little bit ahead to your crystal ball segment, Bonnie, but That's I fine. think what's going to be really interesting is what will it be like when the millennials become managers? So statistically mm-hmm. right now, to your email shape comment, Richard, I totally agree, 80% of the world's texts are produced by boomers. Pardon me, 80% of the world's emails are produced by boomers. 90% of the world's texts are produced by millennials. And so when you look mm. at that massive difference in terms of email versus text shape, what will that shape look like when the people running the organizations are millennials, not boomers? And if Great. You, Richard, here, so, so if Go you ahead. think about when, when I sort of uh, – my sort of first bold steps into to workplace uh, nearly 30 years ago now, um, you know, I was sort of, uh, sort of given a role to roll out PC technology mm-hmm. to a large manufacturing company that I worked for at the time um, because I'd sort of used them a little bit um, in college, but I'd also sort of assembled in kit form a computer myself. So, <laughs> of course, I must be a sort of computer guru. Um, but I think the difference between the sort of technology change that we're seeing now is that when we introduce that last major change of technology, i.e. the PC, first of all, our seniors, our managers, they couldn't type. So they were sort of impeded from using that technology in those early days. But also that technology was being introduced by the business. What we're seeing now, of course, are these technologies are being introduced by us the employees, yes. but we're sort of doing it through our sort of consumer personas. So it's radically different to that last major change. And because the rate of change is going so fast, who knows really where it's going to head by the year 2020. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, it's interesting to look back and learn, but I think some of the things we're just going to have to sort of uh, try and work out as we go along. 
Richard, you remind this is Bonnie. You reminded me of the good old days. I have two two degrees from way way back in the last millennium. I won't even tell you when in computer operations and computer programming. And one of our assignments as students, and I already had a couple of college degrees when I when I went for this program. And it was interesting that one of our assignments to, was to write a compiler for a fictitious programming language, and we had to come up with all of our own syntax and make it work. And it was a team project, very very interesting. But I remember the days when. You You had to climb up on a step stool to load a disk pack into it was a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5. Anybody old enough to remember those days? Don't even answer that. Uh, Chris Peterson, thank you for indulging me. Chris Peterson, I want to go to a new tack here in our conversation about unlocking human potential. We've been talking about the realities of the the workforce, the greatly changing demographics. We have age age uh, spectrum of age from very young to to as you. You say, why, why are Zoomers like me still working? Because we love to work. But let's talk about learning innovations that are coming down the pike. How do you appeal to the changing workforce demographics? But more important, how do you get people to learn? And you used in your notes, Chris, a wonderful term. You said funner. F-U-N-N-E-R, funner learning, learning at the point of need. So let's get down to the basics here of how do we help people in the workforce learn to unlock that potential that's our topic today. Chris Peterson, why don't you kick off this thread, and then I'll ask Carrie Brown and Richard Edwards to chime in. Go ahead, Chris. Great, Bonnie. And, and you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, the days when Richard was introducing PCs um, to a workforce. I'm sure the training was all about classroom training Everybody lining up, you know, a week in the in the chair, um, big thick manuals that you'd walk through and learn, and a little bit of hands-on time on the computer. Um, talk about not really fun, right? So again, those millennials are changing how we we teach them. They they don't want to be sitting in a classroom. They don't even sit in classrooms in their universities. They're on e-learning platforms, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. They, they want to have learning at their beck and call. You think about how, you know, smartphones are rolled out, iPads are rolled out. They don't come with manuals anymore. You know, so that the notion is get online, try it, and if you have problems, reach out. Go to the facts that frequently ask questions. Uh, research what other uh, users are saying about the best way to, to do something on that new device. Um, mm-hmm. It's all at their beck and call. So, again, this notion of outside in, they want to be taught when they have pain and not be spoon-fed in a, you know, stodgy old classroom, um, you know, some topic. Um And there's lots of, of interesting innovations taking place in the learning domain. One of the, the most fun, um, since you honed in on that word, mm-hmm. is the notion of learning by gaming, Bonnie. And yes. the notion that, you know, there's the younger generation is constantly in multiplayer games. They're competing against each other online. You know, my daughter's 10. She takes – she has an online math uh, – you know, games to augment her classroom math at 10. You know, so the notion is making complex topics like SAP, you know, deployment, et cetera, fun, it's competitive, it's, it's based on multiplayer games. And, and IBM's been investing in our research organization completely radical ways to teach people 
complex software application. Thank you, Chris. Carrie Brown, I want to hear from you about funner learning. I love that word. Somebody has to tweet that. Dave or Andy, please tweet funner learning. Uh, Chris, Carrie, what about funner learning? What about gamification? What do you see? We see actually, uh, we've, Chris and I and IBM and SAP have been working together on, on a game that we had actually introduced through our University Alliance program called ERP Sim. And it came out of the fact that IT MBA students said, you know what, learning ERP isn't fun. And now it is. Mm-hmm. And I often joke that I, I get to say the word SAP and fun in one sentence along with learning, which is, is rare Woo-hoo. and special and fantastic <laughs> that we can now. And yes. what happens in that game is that we accelerate transactions in a real environment where 15 minutes is a quarter and an hour is a year. But by gaming and playing together, not only the millennials, but the CXO suite who are boomers are having fun. And I would take another piece of this when you look at how is learning becoming more fun or more interactive is really taking the behaviors that we see outside of work. So when you look at sort of the crowdsourcing of learning and the crowdsourcing of sharing and collaboration, you know, I often joke, how often do you go to dinner and have a debate without solving it by picking up your smartphone and answering the question by searching for it online? You don't. Hello. You solve it quickly. Nope. And that right. same expectation and the way to learn and share is changing and, and creating sort of the micro-learning. You know, we go on YouTube, we go on Google, we pull up what we need when we need it, And that personalization and that immediacy, I think, creates the satisfaction. So if it's not fun, it's at least satisfying quickly. And so that crowdsourcing of content has really adapted and changed. So, for example, our learning hub now in the cloud allows IT professionals to learn quickly with little bits and pieces and bytes. And that information becomes something that is satisfying to them at point of need versus a traditional classroom type of setting that Chris was talking about. And, you know, being satisfied is a whole lot more fun than being frustrated. Absolutely, and that was one of our opening talking points is you're frustrated, disloyal, and ultimately, and where you do the most damage to the corporation, to the enterprise, ineffective employees. That's that's what we're trying to minimize or avoid completely. Richard Edwards, any comments? I want to bring you in on this conversation on gamification and what we've been talking about here, fun or learning. Do you have any fun learning you want to talk about from the Ovum Research Vantage Point, Richard? Well, we have a, uh, a number of papers that we've written about the introduction of uh, sort of gamification within the world of enterprise IT. Uh, on the one hand, we, we see vendors trying to um, sort of rethink and reimagine their, the user interface in particular of their products so that, you know, if I ask the question of 100 delegates who has an enterprise application that is a joy to use, we might actually get a few people to to raise their hands there because particularly for those applications that we don't use every single day, it's important that they're accessible. And I think one of the challenges um, of uh, some of the applications that I still see today is that they um, are are accessible to those folks who use them day in and day out, but casual users are just instantly turned off by them because they appear to be sort of too complex, or they, they just sort of seem to be obfuscated with strange language or strange design. So the whole idea of sort of human-centered design being brought to the world of enterprise OT is, you know, hugely significant. And I know that IBM made some announcements um, uh, at the beginning of the year of, of its investments in that particular area. And so it'll be interesting to sort of see how you know, one of the world's largest sort of IT companies brings that human-centered design not only to the, 
you know, apps that perhaps we use to interact with, with email and video conferencing and social networking, but how that has an impact on some of those sort of slightly uh, more mundane, if you allow me to say that, enterprise mm -hmm. applications. It's Thank interesting, you, that you, Richard, that mm -hmm. you suggest sort of human-centered design. I... Um, the, the definition of design thinking is really looking at technology from a human perspective, and we've been doing a lot more of that. And I, I share a story when I often meet with, with customers to talk about how, you know, three years ago at Sapphire, our customer conference, was the first time the word people really got on the front of the showcase at the keynotes. And then the following year, every keynote mentioned it. And, the th and you know, last year we had Bill McDermott spending 15 minutes talking about the demographics changes we're discussing on this call. And so the awareness of the employee and the person and the human in the experience, I think along with the, the flood of improvements in, in consumer IT, is really seeing sort of a tipping point and a flex point where the corporation and the enterprise and the consumer as the employee need to meet to be effective. And then when you think about how many people that are going to be coming into jobs who have two and three years experience, not 10 and 12 and 15 and 17 years experience, we're really going to need to be able to, to reach at point of need that immediate kind of learning and that change. With, and technology, candidly, is I think the only way we can reach them quick enough and cheaply enough. Mm -hmm. And indeed, some Chair. of those jobs that ahead, we Richard. probably uh, uh, mm -hmm. went for had been around for, for a number of years, and there were training programs to lead up to that. But, of course, you know, the jobs that will be being advertised in 2020 don't exist yet. So putting training programs together for, uh, for, for those types of sort of jobs and activities will present some sort of, you know, significant challenges, I think, for uh, those high-value-add um, operations and activities. Thank you all. You know what? I want to go in a slightly different direction here. I want to talk about something. Carrie, in some of your notes you sent me before the show, you talk about simplicity, customer centricity, there's a rhyme there, and minimizing distance. Let's talk about immediacy, simplicity, but also you talk about distance to data, distance to coworkers, distance to solutions. Are we solving the distance gap? Talk to me, Carrie, and then I'll ask Richard and Chris to chime in as well. Please go ahead. I think we're solving it, and I think we're getting better and better every day. So when you look at the number of people that you know now who work from home, the distance reality is much, much truer. You look at the conversation we're having now. A number of us could just as easily be coworkers as we are on this radio show. And our ability to communicate and connect and be effective at executing work is getting much greater. I think that's going to continue to advance in terms of the distance of people from each other, and therefore the distance also of knowledge from capabilities. And so that immediacy and personalization of, of content and helping an employee at point of need is going to need to have that same immediacy that we talked about when I say, okay, I'm at dinner and I've got a question to ask and I hit Google. If I'm an employee and I'm at work and I've got a question to ask, I've got to have that same kind of immediacy. And the personalization of learning and the technology that's appearing, we're all learning those patterns and the challenge now, to Richard's point, is how we as corporations can continue to move closer and closer to providing that a point of need in the workplace. And Chris Peterson, yeah, yeah go ahead, Chris. Thanks, Bonnie and Carrie. You know, I think if you apply the distance concept to enterprise software, right, where it used to be that what we cared about was going live, right? It took us years and years to get. You know, the, the ERP software ready to go live. And it was this big countdown to the go live date. 
claiming victory that all the users were trained and ready to use this new tool to do their jobs differently. Now what we're seeing, again, because of this immediacy, um, is that, that it's not about the day of. It's not about the go live. It's all about user adoption. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when you think of user adoption, the, the millennials, the younger generation, they expect those apps to be better every time they log on because their consumer mm-hmm. apps are better every time they log on. You know, so gone are the days when you can deploy an upgrade two years from now with a bunch of fixes, right? The younger generation is demanding that adoption means improvement in, with less time and distance between um, releases. And I think this is something we really need to think through as, as learning leaders. How do you create this ongoing, sustainable learning environment and make sure the apps and the technology and the tools are consistently, simply, distanceless, upgraded, real-time. I have a question for the panel. I will tell you that we're six minutes from our break. You are all doing great, and you're earning that break very well. Thank you. We'll take a break before Crystal Ball. But in the next six minutes, I'd like to approach the concept of how do you structure learning? How do you design it? Point in ca- case in point, we're talking about the, the, the gap, the age gap, the experiential gap, the, uh, shall we say, the, um, just the, the gap in how many years people have been in the workplace. And the question is, when you create a training, a learning, if such a thing will even happen five years from now, uh, Carrie Brown, I'll start with you on this one. Do you have the millennials and the Zoomers sitting in the same room, whether it's an e-learning room, whether it's a, a, cl- a physical classroom? How do you decide Who's going to get the most of what level of training, when and where? And do you put them all together or do you segment your training? What's your viewpoint, Carrie? My viewpoint is, is, is both. So, yes, you put them together. And, in fact, some of the best practices we see with our customers is where they're actually partnering up those who are leaving the workforce, the brain drain that's retiring of the boomers, and the new people entering in in terms of millennials. So how you look at the future in terms of what you provide is bridging that information and and connecting those dots, and then also creating content that is micro-learning. So creating content using crowdsourcing and, and authoring tools that allow you to have that whole audience complete and create content for the audience that is most relevant to them so that it may be have a flavor of millennials, it may have a flavor of boomers, but also by bringing them together, you meet the needs of all of the above. In terms of classroom, I see the classroom getting thinner and thinner and classrooms becoming more and more virtual in nature, whether that's a formal virtual classroom or whether that's uh, a, you know, a non-existent and on-the-job on uh, classroom that we create ourselves. But I see both of those audiences really collaborating to give organizations the opportunity to capture the wisdom that's leaving and mm-hmm. share that with the generation that's coming in. And, you know, Great points. You know, yeah, go uh, ahead. Go ahead, Chris. I was, thanks, guys. I was just going to chime in. Um, you mentioned a, a, a concept. We, we call it reverse mentoring. Exactly. Right? right? When, the, when the millennial is actually being mentored by the retiring boomer, but even before that person retires, we're teaming up those age gap, generational gap workforces so that the millennials are actually teaching the boomers about social mobile collaborative platforms, you know, Prezi versus PowerPoint, um, uh, Twitter versus email, like we mentioned before, Instagram versus Facebook, all of these new technologies that the millennials, 
you know, used religiously. And, and the notion that ultimately learning, I think, will be almost no classroom, learning like everything else social will go viral. And I think, Bonnie, what will happen is um, through the social network, you, you think through learning and support systems, et cetera, help, learning, how-tos, it's all going to be viral. You're going to ask your network. You're going to ask groups of users from different companies in your industry that are going to be in, in chat rooms and communities that are using systems or whatnot. They're going to teach each other. I completely and, agree. And, Chris, I'm so glad you brought up reverse mentoring. I was just going to bring that up at the moment that you chimed in. I'm glad you did. Uh, just a heads up on our Coffee Break with Game Changers series. In April, we are going to do a show about mentoring. I'm calling it Mentoring A to Z Win win, win, and our featured guest will be the 2013 Marketing and Communications Best Mentor at SAP, Megan Sullivan. Just a heads up to our, our listeners, you know, we're on the air five days, five times a week now, and that's an upcoming show, so like to see the topics cross-pollinate. Richard Edwards, any comments on what we just talked about, blending ages and generations into the classroom and inside, outside? What are your thoughts before we go to break? Well, well, I think uh, whatever generation you are, we, we recognize that there are different learning styles for different individuals. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the most interesting uh, developments I'm seeing now is the, the use of, uh, you know, real artificial intelligence and sort of cognitive computing. So we can now ask our smartphones, our tablets, our PCs a question uh, and get an answer. And I think it's then just one step further so that the technology can sort of preempt um, in some instances what we're going to ask next and provide some of that just-in-time education Um, because so much learning materials now are in a sort of bite-sized form, whether it's on sort of YouTube or or other platforms. I think that's uh, something that is really an exciting development uh, just coming over the horizon. I'm glad to hear the word exciting enter the conversation. That's a good point. You know what's exciting is we're going to take our break. I'm going to give one and a half minute respite to Richard Edwards at Ovum, Chris Peterson at IBM, and Carrie Brown at SAP. You're listening to the second edition of our new series, Future of Business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP Services. And shout out to David Fowler for picking another phenomenal panel. When we come back as my guest already know, and as my listeners hopefully know, we're going to do the crystal ball. I'm going to ask Richard and Chris and Carrie to look ahead five years. If we meet again on this show, and I certainly hope we do, Chris, I'm a Zoomer. I'm not going anywhere, my dear. (laughs) If we meet again five years from today, what will you all be saying about ready to unlock human potential? Will we have done all the unlocking or will there be new challenges coming down the pike? We'll be right back after a quick break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You don't want to miss this predictions round. You know this is where some of the best stuff comes out. Brad, out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the pace of innovation is moving faster than ever and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data 
The new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Let's do the future of business predicted ahead five years from today, 2019, March 13th. Woohoo! I'm going to ask Richard Edwards at Ovum to kick off the crystal ball round. Richard, I'd love to meet with you again in five years from today. What would you be talking about? How much will you have, will you think we will have accomplished in terms of opening that key to unlock human potential in the workplace? Richard, give you two minutes. Go ahead. Well, I think the first thing we have to realize is that we are living in an exponential technology curve. And if we think back to our days, uh, math days at school, we know that an, uh, an exponential curve for a long time runs flat with the x-axis. And then it suddenly takes off and sort of climbs near vertical. So I think the main challenge for all of us, and particularly for, for business leaders, is to try and develop a way to see beyond the traditional sort of linear line of thinking that's been sufficient to, to keep us moving forward you know, since time began almost. Because the sort of technologies that are likely to sort of appear in the next six years are going to sort of probably totally eclipse many of those technologies over the last, you know, 100 or 200 years, and I think certainly in the world of work, we will see more change in the next six years, many of us, than we've seen in the previous two or three decades. Thank you very much, Richard. Okay, and let's move to Chris Peterson at IBM. Crystal Ball, is it clear or cloudy, Chris? What do you see five years ahead? Well, I think uh, five years our show might be called Unlocking Cognitive Computing Power and how to keep humans from being locked out. Ooh, that's provocative. I have to write that one down. I'll book the show right now. All right. What, and, heck, you know, go ahead. I, I think it's all around this notion that now, and, and Richard brought this up very quickly right before the break, the power of cognitive computing changes the game in, in the, the role of the human beings now interpreting that data, right? The data, these, these computers, these supercomputers like IBM Watson, Right, we're, mm-hmm. we're sinking a billion dollars into developing services now around these amazing supercomputers. Ultimately, these machines, um, they outdo human potential in some respects, right? They can think. They reason. They have answers culled through, you know, mounds and mounds of data much faster than any simple human mind can. Um, and they now have predictive analytics built in. So you can almost um, surmise that they can reason, and, and as our you know, founder, Thomas Watson, would say, these things can think. 
So I think it's interesting to sit and think about, you know, what will the human being of the future with these incredible tools be? What will we need to teach people? And maybe it's, it's around taking action on that data, taking action on these highest probability best answers. Maybe that's the human potential that will be unlocked, not about learning stuff, but taking mm-hmm. action on the data that these supercomputers are generating. Interesting. Thank you very much, Chris Peterson at IBM. Carrie Brown, you're up. What do you see five years ahead or any time in between, Carrie? I, I smile as I listen to Richard and Chris speak because it's it's exciting to be at SAP and a part of how the the data really drives the the behavior. And so, you know, as Chris speaks about human beings, I think about human doings in five years. And I think that the technology and the cognitive capabilities certainly will get to where the intuition will drive what we do by providing us the information and the data and the and the activity and the action at the point of need. I agree with both of them in terms of how we will have the kind of prescience that we, we don't have now in terms of what we need when we need it. And so that gift, if you will, of information will arrive in order to make the right decision and make the right action. So when I look at where we're going to be in a number of years, too, I think of it will be interesting to have an entire workforce who have so much less burden of memory in terms of how things have been done in the past mm-hmm. and so much opportunity in terms of capturing and consuming data in a different way and a sharing in a different way and learning in a different way than we've been doing for so many years. And I love the image that Richard pasted of, you know, we've been moving along a linear line and we're about to, we're about to reach really high. and We're about to move at that speed upward that we probably all aren't quite sure what it's going to feel like, and it, it will be an exciting ride. Exciting and challenging and adventurous and adventuresome, yes. I have a bonus question for my panel because you were all so concise in your crystal ball comments. So I'm going to give you each about 20 seconds to answer this question. We'll go first, Richard, then Chris, and then Carrie. Here's the question. Five years from today, who will be in that chair in the C-suite in the chief learning officer position. What will their skills be? What will their background be? What will their generation be? Maybe their gender? Maybe where in the world will they come from? What kind of education will they have received? 20 seconds. Be very, very tight on this. Richard Edwards, go ahead. Who will be the chief learning officer in five years in, let's say, in a mid-size enterprise? What do you think? I think it'll be somebody who just fundamentally understands what motivates, you know, the, the sort of human being. Um, it has to be a fundamental as that from my point of view. Um, but it's probably going to be somebody who um, we wouldn't necessarily sort of think of sort of uh, coming up for that job uh, today. So I think that we're going to reach into many of the different geographies to pull expertise far greater than we've even done thus far. Thank you. Very Speaking hopeful. European. <laughs> I appreciate that. Chris Peterson, go. I don't think they'll have uh, emerged from the the human resource typical path. Um, I think they'll either be a cognitive scientist type, someone who is very savvy in business analytics, Bonnie, or somebody who's kind of grown up, a millennial that's taken different operational routes through the business that knows what the business needs to succeed. Thank you very much. Carrie Brown, last but of course not least, what do you see the chief learning officer five years from today? Go. For those of you who have read Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell and you look at the role of the player who does the connecting of the dots, I think they're going to be that kind of a profile. And I think the transition will be 
like with HR and like with IT, where they were administrative and they shifted from that administrative role to a strategic partner. I think the profile of the person will be a great connector, and I think the, the role of that person will be much more a strategic partner than an administrator that they may be now. Great insights. Thank you all. And guess what? I have some predictions of my own. I wrote them down real easy, and I got one minute to speed talk through this. Today is our double whammy day at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. I'll be hosting Startup Focus with Game Changers, talking about the impact startups are having on consumer products arena. Very interesting group of panelists. Uh, we'll be back Monday, of course, with Financial Excellence with Game Changers, Monday, 10 a.m. Pacific. On Biz Buzz with Game Changers, we'll be back Tuesday, 9 a.m. Next Wednesday, Coffee Break with Game Changers. And, of course, next Thursday we'll bring you at 7 a.m. Pacific, another Future of Business with Game Changers. Shout out and thank you so much. Fantastic panel. Kudos to all of you. Together you were great. Individually you were great. Can't be happier. Richard Edwards at Ovum, thank you. Chris Peterson at IBM, thank you. Kerry Brown at SAP, thank you. And thanks to Dave Fowler at SAP Services for sponsoring the show. Claire Booty at Ovum for support with guests. Malcolm Kimberly of course, at SAP, and hello to tweeters and bloggers Andy Grieg, Gretchen Statler, and Sean McEwen, and thank you, of course, to Brad, my engineer, and the Business Channel team. I have a shout-out and a call to action for all of you. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game-changer today. Thanks again, Richard, Chris, and Carrie. This was great. Talk to you ah, this afternoon at Startup Focus with Game Changers. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of SAP Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.